0: What I'm going to, How I'm going to start, I've got five examples, um, five scenarios that I'm going to read. And I want you to follow along and see if you can make the connection between these five examples, okay? Uh, they all have a common theme, and uh, I am going to put you to work and see if you can make the connection between these, these uh, five examples. The first one, um, a picture of eighth grade, um, a young boy in eighth grade, uh, happens to be me. Uh, My mom and I had uh, uh, moved to South Carolina. My parents at the time had separated. And so we had moved back to uh, where she was from in South Carolina. And um, school starts. I'm new to the school, eighth grade, going to middle school, making a few friends. Uh, It doesn't take long for me to set my eye on this cute little girl uh, whose name happened to be Judy. Um, So... um, Time goes by, and we become friends and stuff. We end up on a Friday night, I think it was, at the little middle school dance. Um, And uh, so we end up dancing some, and uh, uh, lo and behold, if we don't come in second place in some kind of dance contest, uh, and if you have seen me dance, which I'm confident none of you have, because I don't dance, uh, you would be shocked at uh, the fact that we came in second place together. Um, So uh, after that, you know... um, we would uh, have classes together and, and, and never really kind of did much with it. But in my mind, I began to think, yeah, she's kind of into me. This is going to go good. She's really into me. Um, all the while noticing that, that her other friends around her were kind of like, you know, snickering and something was going on. Um, in her mind, it wasn't exactly going on in my mind about our relationship. Yeah, she, was, she, she was at a different place than I was. I was much further along. All right, that's example one. Example number two comes from the Harvard Business School. Okay, so the Harvard Business School did some research. They had two groups of students. One group of students, um, both groups of students, going to take a math test. Group A, math test given, and they also were given the answer key. All right, group B was given a math test and just had to take the math test. So they go through and they take the test. All right, then they grade the test. And of course, the ones with the answers, um, they graded better. So they said, okay, here, step two, I'm going to give you another math test. It's going to be a longer math test. And I want each of your groups, I want you to predict how well you're going to do on this second test. All right? So they had to predict how well they were going to do. If they got an 80 on the first test, they might have predicted I'm going to do an 81 on the second or whatever. So they go through and they take the second test. And as it would turn out, everyone that had the answers from the first test overestimated how well they would do on the second test. So they got their score back on the first test and they did, whoa, man, a 98 And so they estimated on the second test that they had to take without the answers. They were going to do much better than they actually did. All right, third example. They did another study where some men um, were asked to choose between two fake sports magazines. Sports magazine A, sports magazine B. Uh, One of the magazines, it focused on um, a broad coverage of sports, okay? Okay. The other sports magazine, it was big into feature stories. Feature stories. So they had to choose. Do you like broad coverage or are you into feature stories? So some men would choose broad coverage. Other men would choose the feature stories. But regardless of which one they choose, as it would turn out, which everyone they choose happened to have on the cover a picture of a beautiful woman in a swimsuit. But they always said, oh, I chose it for the feature stories or I chose it for the broad coverage. Not once they mentioned... Oh yeah, it happened to have a beautiful lady on the cover. All right, example number four. Some men were gathered together and they said, we need to choose someone to be a manager of a construction company. All right, got this pool of of applicants, part female, part male, applying for the job. Want you to check them out and see who you would choose. Some of the men in the application pool had uh, higher education but less experience than the women. Some of the men had higher experience, less education than the men, than the women. So some of the men were better than the women in one area, and some of the men were better than the women in the other area. So the men went through and reviewed everything, and every time it came back, the men chose a male to be the head of the construction company. That a male was chosen as the manager. But they always said well, I chose this man because he had high education. Or over here, this guy would say, well, I chose him because we needed more experience. Not once did they say, well, I chose him because he was a guy. It was always experience or education. And then in our final example, they got some young women together, and they brought them in and said, here's a large white sheet of paper. Stand in front of it and just draw yourself. Just draw a picture of yourself, whatever you think you look like. So they would do that. So the women drew a picture of themselves. And when they were done, half of the women got to hear a story about dating and romance. The other half of the women got to hear a story about architecture, buildings, kind of the business world. And after the story, they said, okay, come back in. Here's a new sheet of paper. Draw a picture of yourself. So they would draw a picture of themselves. The women who heard the story about architecture and buildings in the business world, their drawing was essentially the same. Practically identical to how they drew themselves before. The women who heard a story about dating and relationships, they drew themselves much slimmer, with much narrower waists and hips. I hope you see the connection of these examples. What was going on in the minds of these people? They took the test or chose the applicant or picked a magazine or drew themselves. Something had gone on inside their mind to deceive themselves. They were believing something that wasn't the truth. Consider these two uh, well-known philosophers. A guy named Plato you may have heard of. He said the worst of all deception is self-deception. Ludwig Wittgenstein, um, a philosopher from the early 1900s. My buddy and I were talking last night. We were fairly confident that he was not from Nightdale. Um, he said, nothing is so difficult as not deceiving oneself. Nothing is so difficult as not deceiving oneself. Well, these quotes are, are good. These examples are good. Um, they get our mind to thinking. But... They're not any more real, any more true, or any more important just because they come from Harvard or they come from Plato, right? Truth is truth. God is never going to say, hey, I put Plato on the earth and gave him all this wisdom. Now, what did you do with it? What did you do with Plato's wisdom? But what he is going to do is say, I gave you God's word, and there's truth about life and me and eternity what did you do with God's word and so we're going to look into God's word because it is truth and it is going to warn us today about being self-deceived James gives us two warnings a warning about hearing but not doing and a warning about being religious so if you would let's stand and read God's word James chapter 1 Beginning in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks unto the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You may be seated. James starts by telling us to be doers and not hearers. And he goes on to give us two warnings. And I want to make clear we understand to whom James is speaking. Because he's given us instruction. In fact, we have come from much instruction in the previous part of chapter 1. Right? He's told us to count it all joy when we have trials. He's told us to let patience have its perfect work. He's told us to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He's given us instruction, things to do. And now he's going to give us warning. And we need to be perfectly clear. Who is James talking to? Right? James tells us to be doers of the word. And there are two groups of people on this earth. There are those who follow Jesus and those who do not. And we need to know that James is talking to us in this church who follow Jesus Christ. And he is begging us to do the word that we hear. Now, if you're not in that camp, if you happen to be someone who does not follow Jesus, then this passage is not directed at you, but there is another command for you. There is one command in the Bible that God gave for those who do not follow Jesus, and it is, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You have one thing to do as a non-Christian, and that is to... Ask God to forgive you and accept His Son as Savior. He does not call you to do the Word. He does not call you, to call you to put aside all filthiness. As He said in verse 21, He does not call you to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He's not speaking to the non-Christian there. The non-Christian is not born again. His heart is dead. He does not have new life. God says to the non-Christian, to the one who doesn't know Jesus, come and accept My son, God says. So, if that's where you are, that's what you need to hear. That God calls out to you to accept Jesus Christ. But, if you are a follower of His, we can then do two things. We can hear the Word, and we can do the Word. And James brings us in verse 22 to a place where he's addressing those that are hearing the Word, and they're not doing it. As we're going to see, they may be doing a lot of talking... Well, they may be doing things, but they're not doing the word. And James has two very important warnings for us, and we need to thank God when he does give us warning. Our kids are not um, our kids, and I'm sure your kids, um, it's not high on their list to come back and thank us for the times that we told them no, right? I'm trying to think and was trying to think. When's the last time my kid said, hey, thank you for not letting me do that with my friend? Um, it, it, it doesn't happen. Thank you for, you know, making me come home instead of going somewhere else. Or, or whatever the example is. You get the point. They, we don't get thanked for the warnings. Hey, you better be careful. You ought to do this. You ought not to wait till the last minute. You may want to start that now, you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making me do my schoolwork no but God is giving us these warnings and he wants us to hear them and he wants us to apply his word so let's look at verse 22 be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves J.A. Motyer said we might wonder why the ever practical James does not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But he does not help us in this way. Rather, he goes deeper. For there is little point in schemes and times if we have not got an attentive spirit. It is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. So let me ask you a question. Who here would say that they are self-deceived? So if you raise your hand and say, yes, I'm self-deceived, okay, I'll take note of that person. Um, But also, James says, all right, I got you. I'm talking to you. You're the one that I am speaking to. You're self-deceived, that's good. You admit it, you acknowledge it. Now what? But if you're over here and you're the one that says, Hey, I'm not self-deceived. James has you too, doesn't he? I'm not self-deceived. I know what I am all about. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who God is. I see myself exactly like God sees me, just like I did in eighth grade. I saw myself exactly like Judy saw me until she went back with her old boyfriend. (laughs) So... So you see, either way, you admit it or you don't admit it. Each of us has something going on in our heart. Each of us has something going on in our mind. where we are believing something that might not be true. And God says, you don't need to be there. I came that you might have abundant life, Jesus said. He is the way, the truth. And he wants us to see the truth about ourselves. So... A.W. Tozer said, Of all forms of deception, self-deception is the most deadly. And of all deceived persons, the self-deceived are the least likely to discover the fraud. Do you hear the danger there? The self-deceived are the least likely to discover the fraud. We can sit here and say, Yeah, I know what's wrong with that person and that person and that person. But I've got it. I've got it. I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. And James is saying, Let's be sure you're doing it right. So, what does hearing the word and not doing it look like? Let's go to verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Well, you you have probably um, heard someone talking about you know what mirrors were like back in biblical times. Okay, they didn't have the glass with the, the shiny metal on the back side so you got this clear reflection. They, they might have had some kind of metal or maybe even a smooth stone and they would just shine it, shine it, shine it. And it would give a, a form of a reflection back for them to see what they looked like. Uh, they may have um, found a pool of water, you know, and you can look in the water and you see a form of, of a reflection in that. But they didn't have mirrors. And so because of that, they didn't get a true image of what was standing in front of the mirror. So James is saying the person that hears the word and doesn't do it, it's like someone who looks in that mirror. Right? How long does it take to look in the mirror? I was looking in the mirror this morning after I tied my tie, I looked for a couple of seconds. The funny thing was, after I did it, I walked away, I came back and I looked again. That's how long I could remember. Was it straight or was it not straight? Or. It was off to one side and I fixed it and I had to look. Did I move it the right way or the the other way? But these mirrors, they give back just a partial reflection. And that hinders us in two ways. It gives us a distorted image of what we're looking at. We're not able to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. You heard Jared talk about... God has a way to worship Him. We don't worship Him just because we say we're worshiping Him and we're bowing down to a calf or an idol. But I'm worshiping God. God says, no, that's not worshiping me. You worship me the way I say you worship me. But God has a way of serving Him. and He says, you serve me the way the Word says to serve me. Live your life the way the Word says to live it. Don't trust that distorted image that you see in that shiny piece of metal. Do not trust it. Also, we forget. We look in the mirror and we forget what we saw. How many times, if I wore a watch, you would probably see me do it. I've seen people do it. I've seen people do it a hundred times. They'll look at their watch, see what time it is. And someone right after that will ask them what time it is and they'll look at their watch again. As if they don't remember uh, it's 10.32 and they say, hey, what time you got? Uh, 10.32. I mean, we forget things like that because we just do it out of habit. How many are reading F260? And that's a good thing. Hopefully we're not reading it just because we've been asked to read it and now we can check it off. Maybe last year and all the years before you've been reading through the Bible or you read the Bible regularly and that's good. But James says we can hear that word and not do it. And he wants us to do the word. Why would we hear the word and not do it? Well Hebrews 4.12 gives us a possible reason. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, who in the world wants that? (laughs) Who wants to read this and start getting sliced up like a a piece of chicken? Right? So we can avoid God's Word just out of fear of what it's going to ask me to do. Right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to become that. I don't want to give up that. I don't want to have to start doing that. There's only seven days in a week. Now I've got to start doing this? Hey, I've got kids. We've got things to do. Right? There's fear of what the Word is going to require of us. It may require of us sacrifice. Or maybe we don't value what we're reading. Right? We say we value it. I work with some guys, and we have, like most companies, you know, um, a a creed or a motto or a whatever you call it. We call it a success model. Um, And it has these these traits, uh, respect, value, leadership, and excellence, always with unyielding integrity. That's what our company is is built on. Um, And we have leaders in the company who say that they believe that. Uh, But sometimes when you watch their actions, it's hard to... Reconcile what they say and what they do. They say they value the success model, but do they value the success model? We say we value God's word, but do we value God's word? And the last one. The word doesn't apply. Hey, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a hearer, but not a doer. I'm doing stuff. How quickly can your mind go to start listing the things that you do? In church, out of church, four friends, four neighbors. This doesn't apply to me. Those are reasons that we can forget and not do the Word. When I was in high school, I... um, When I was in high school, I was a bit of a smart aleck. Um... Uh, that may not surprise some of you. Um, I uh and I also just had a tendency to give people nicknames. Um and as nicknames would tend to go, they were generally not overly flattering to the people I would give them to. So I would uh, it was kind of reserved for this inner circle of people that we you know, friends that I had and we just kinda laughed and joked. And they weren't they weren't, you know, well they were insulting, but they were not well they were not great but um but in this one case um and I was friends with these people and liked them but just they would have a trait about themselves that's kind of kind of stuck out one one for example was uh, the younger brother the girl I was dating him he to this day I think anytime I ever saw him he wore as you would in the 80s one of those um kind of coats that had the that was kind of had a little lining on the inside but the outside was kind of that polyester, slick, plasticky-feeling coat, you know, everybody had those, kind of like the uh, uh, members-only, but not a members-only kind, kind of like a Walmart version of members-only, that slick, plasticky-feeling, and he wore that literally all the time. I cannot remember ever seeing him when he didn't have that coat on. I said that coat was glued on him. That coat was glued, so I started calling him Gluk for glued coat, and so that was just the name I called him, which, you know, which he may not have ever heard. But the one, the one that did come back to bite me um, was a girl that I was in band with, and she was a great friend, a little sweet little girl that played the flute, and her name was Catherine. And uh, she had this, this characteristic about her face where her face was just kind of flat. You know, we all have particular facial features, big this, small this, you know, too much of this, too little of this, where her face was just kind of kind of flat, you know. It just, she just had a flat face. Um, <laughs> so I called her Squish Face. <laughs> But I, I, I would obviously, as you would hope, I'd never, never said that to her. Um, so in high school, when I got into uh, 12th grade, and we were in 12th grade together, our high school expanded to be from 10th to 12th, and now it's from 9th to 12th. And that happened to be the year that my younger brother was in 9th grade. So he came and started going to school at the same school I went to, which was fine. You know, we got along fine. Didn't see each other much. 9th grade was down there. 12th grade was over here. But it did so happen that he eventually got to where he met this girl, Catherine, and he had uh, clearly heard me talking about her or refer to her by her other name. Um, and so he said, oh, Catherine, oh, you must be Squish Face. <laughs> and uh, that did not go well. That, 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 that was not what I intended for her. Uh, as it has turned out, you know, um, when Ashley and Ashley got married, we were going to a church, uh, and in fact, she and her husband were going to that same church, and she had in the interim, you know, I don't know how long the past 10 or 15 years, she had had a surgery which had taken her face and pulled it forward um, to where it had, it resembled, I mean, I won't say normal, but it resembled what it was not before. So I could not have called her that, not that I would. But um, that was me in high school hearing the word, walking around with my New Testament in my back pocket but here I am with all these nicknames and making fun of all these people because it didn't apply to me. I hate, because that's who I was. I was the guy with the smart aleck and the wit and this, and so that's who I was, and so, you know, if you liked me, then you thought it was funny. If you didn't like me, then you avoided me, and you hoped that, you know, I didn't have a nickname for you or whatever, um, but we'll do that. Won't we? That, hey, that that's, that's who I am. I'm the one who kind of, I'm the one who's just, I just always speak up. I got a, point out what's wrong or i'm the one who who's who's the realist we love that word realist i'm the realist you know i know it it sounds negative it always comes across as negative but i'm the realist in the group or yeah or or i know i know i got a short fuse i just i just got i just you know we we dismiss it by saying that's who i am right but are you are you doing what you're hearing So what does it mean, what does it look like to hear and do the Word? Right? We know from the Bible, we, you can think, of, say, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, go and sell, and come and follow me. That's exactly what he didn't want to hear. Wow, how did Jesus know that? Right? On the other hand, we got Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus hears Jesus, and invites him into his home... Here's something wonderful that transforms his heart. And he says, I'm going to go back and make right all my wrongs. I'm going to pay back people I've stolen from. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to fix what I did that was broken. He heard and he did. So what does it look like to hear and do the word? Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. What does that look like? The man looks into, he continues, and he does. It doesn't say he makes sure not to forget. It just says he looks into it, he continues in it, and he does the work. That process eliminates the forgetting. So what's the difference? If you saw back in... The earlier verse, it says he, he observed his natural face in a mirror. But now, James says, he looks into the perfect law of liberty. Quite a different statement, right? To look at your natural face in the mirror, to take a glance and say, yeah, everything looks good. And now, James says, he's looking into the perfect law of liberty. Well, what does he mean? Well, this look is a different word. This is a, this is a word that's, that looks and looks again. It's like, whoa, what is that? Stooping down and say, that's, "I see something there." What, you know, to look a bit, the flowers are pretty. To glance at them, but it's like, whoa, what, what is that? That is, hey, that is, that's a fake flower. Wow, I did not realize. So, there's a difference, and James, James is drawing that distinction. The word is not changed; it's the same word we're hearing. Nothing different, but now we're looking at it with a whole different perspective. We're looking into it to see, what does it say for me? We're looking into it to see ourselves as we really are. We're looking into it to see God for who He really is. He's the one that can place demands and commissions and expectations on us. God is the one that can do that. We so resist people putting expectations on us. I want to set my own schedule. I don't want to be committed. I've got to keep my options open. God has the right to expect things from his children, from his followers, from his servants. And he does that in his word. And when you look into it, stooping down to see what's in it, you want to know what has God got to say to, for, and about me. So he looks into it. The perfect law of liberty. Quite a different image than looking at a shiny piece of metal. A perfect law of liberty. Doesn't that sound kind of like an oxymoron, a law of liberty? A perfect law of liberty? When you look into God's Word and see yourself and see Him as it is, you realize just how complete He is, how perfect His Word is, and how freeing it can be. Consider what the, God's Word frees us from. From guilt, sin, Condemnation, eternal judgment, God's wrath. Those are real, heavy, eternal things. We get free from all of that. Free from all of that. All in God's Word. That's real, that's eternal. God frees us from all of that and when we look at his word wanting to know what's in it we see the freedom. We taste God's law of liberty which is as Jesus said my command is to do this to love. We see the freedom to love. And when everything is birthed out of love everything feels free. When it's birthed out of law and expectation, condemnation, or judgment, it carries with it resentment and bitterness and a harshness to it. And we know people like that, right? That do and resent, that do and have an edge, that do and have a chip right there on their shoulder. We know people like that. James says, I want you to make sure you're not that person. Don't be that person. Don't say, it's the one at the other end of the pew. Look and see, am I that person? You look into the perfect law of liberty, he continues in it. There was a verse in, um, in Hebrews chapter 7. It said... Uh, talking about Jesus and being from the order of the priests of Melchizedek and how that's an eternal priesthood and Jesus fulfills that and he's our one and only eternal priesthood but the writer of Hebrews said in 7.23 he said also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing so they had a lot of priests back in the Old Testament time because they had to because they kept dying priest lives for a while dies new priest comes along does it his way dies good or bad They could only live for so long. They could not continue. Jesus could continue. And James here says, I want you to continue in the word. Continue in it. And then do it. Now what does do it look like? Dostoevsky says, Above all, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lies, comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him. Don't lie to yourself. You won't be able to recognize the truth from a lie. It took me years and I mean years and that might not surprise you as you've heard my 8th grade and now my high school history (laughs) to see uh, where I was coming from But it took me years to understand that God did not give his word to us, his children, me, a believer, a follower of Christ, a Christian. He did not give his word to me to condemn other people with it, to hold it in front of them and say, you see how bad you are? That's not what this word is for. It's not my job to take this word and try to convict and condemn someone. God convicts their heart. It's my job to take this word, apply it to my life, And grow closer to Him and become more like Jesus. That is my job. That is your job. We are not to condemn. It took me years and years to understand that. I think the hearer of the word who doesn't do, He uses the word instead of obeys it. Uses it. Perhaps for His own means, um, That might be the unbeliever who goes around parading himself as a believer and uses the Word to get rich or to do whatever to get his way. But the believer who doesn't do it can use the Word maybe to make himself look a certain way, maybe not. And then the warning at the end of verse 25. This one, the one who is self-deceived, the one James is trying so hard to awaken From his slumber, this one who is not deceived will be blessed in what he does. For the blessing comes through the doing. Doing the word, you find the blessing. Not blessed because you're doing something, but blessed in doing something. And this word do is is an awesome word um, because it keeps us from making a checklist because we want to have a checklist. Maybe I want to have a checklist, but I'm not good about making lists, but it's certainly good to know when I have to do something, I'd like for someone to tell me what order I have to do it in, especially if I'm expected to do it a certain way. But this word do keeps us from that. This word do or doer is where we get our English word poet. Very interesting. English word poet. Now, um, imagine a poet sitting down with a checklist going to compose his next Shakespeare, sitting down with a checklist. All right, here's the eight things I've got to include in this poem. In 15 lines, rhyming A, B, A, B, and then A. That's not the way poetry is done. The word is intended to give us the idea of something that is created and birthed from within. Where God has implanted that word, verse 21 said. God has implanted that word in your heart And so the doing comes out of your heart, not from following a checklist, but I'm doing from the Word carrying me on, creating from within. Jesus said in Luke, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Uh, My two youngest daughters, Kaki and Raleigh, they like to play with their neighbor across the street, Michelle. And... um, And, and, you know, it's almost, not daily, but it's almost every other day they'll call me Where hey, can Michelle have a sleepover? Can Michelle have a sleepover? Can we have a sleepover at Michelle's? Can Michelle have a sleepover? And I'm like, if she has many more sleepovers, I'm going to start charging rent. (laughs) Okay. But, no, she's sweet. And, and again, that's not one of the times when they say, thank you for not letting Michelle have a sleepover. That was so great. I, I don't get that. But, anyway... When they will come back from Michelle, so you know, they, I, they can't wait to tell me what they did at Michelle's. Oh, we got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to make slime, and we got to make slime, and then we went over here and we made some more slime, and then, then I made, came home and we made slime, and, and they just, well, all that they did, they did, they did. All that they did together. And see, the hearer who doesn't do the word, that's what you're missing. You're missing doing the word together with God. You might be doing something. You know, my kids could have been doing something. Michelle could have been doing something. But when they come together and do it together, that's what James wants us. He wants to hear the Word and do it together with God. From within. That's hearing and doing. Major Ian Thomas was an a, a old English preacher from several decades ago. He said, there are those who have a life they never live. They've come to Christ and thanked Him only for what He did but do not live in the power of who he is. And Kurt Richardson said, those who are blessed by God live in the union of truth and action, which is their joy. Truth and action coming together, which is their joy. And so now our second union, uh, excuse me, our second warning, verse 26 and verse 27. If anyone among you thinks he's religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans, and widows in their trouble, and keep oneself unspotted from the world. When we hear our religion is useless, that might not scare us. You know, I remember growing up. You know, kind of the 80s, 90s, 70s, whichever, wherever you fall in that that time frame, it was big to say, hey, hey, I'm a Christian. Christianity is not a religion, right? I don't know if you I used to hear that all the time. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Christianity is a relationship. Well, you know, okay, well, why are the churches getting tax breaks from having relationships? Tax breaks is, are for religions. But, my point is, when we hear your religion is useless, it might have Mean anything to us because hey, we don't do religion here at church, we don't do religion at Green Pines, we don't do religion as a Christian. So, what is he saying? Your religion is useless. But I think back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whenever it was, when we started saying, Hey, we don't have a religion, we have a relationship, it was because there were so many fake religions and we wanted to separate ourselves from that, which is good, but we need to do it by saying, We are the true religion, we are the one real religion. And it is because we have a relationship with the one true God through his one son, Jesus Christ. So if you're doing religion, it can be useless. In fact, it can be undone. In verse 26, if you think you're religious but do not bribery your tongue, you're only deceiving yourself. You've got a bulletin there in your hand or in your lap or sitting beside you. You can open that bulletin. And see all those things we got planned this week at church or next week. Great activities, ministries, things to do, opportunities to get involved, opportunities to do the word. But everything and anything you do that's in that bulletin or not in that bulletin will be completely undone and useless if you don't bridle your tongue. If you cannot control your mouth. It completely undoes whatever you try to accomplish on that calendar. Useless. I grew up watching a lot of Andy Griffith, and I hope you did too. Even now, you still have the opportunity. It's just, I just love it. Just the first few seasons of Andy Griffith is is as good as television can get. And there's one particular episode when Opie um, is signing up for the field day competition. So they're signing up, and he wants to run the 50-yard dash because he wants to get that medal. This is this medal that's got his eye, and they have you know, the little medals, almost like medals that the military wear. They hang, and he wanted one so bad, and he's signing up for the 50-yard dash. Well, Barney is there while he's signing up, and Barney said, yeah, I remember the day I got my medal. And Obi's like, oh, Barney, you got a medal? Oh, yeah, got a medal on a 50-yard dash. He said, but I had to train for it. And Obi's like, train? Yeah, I had to train. I had to turn my body into one big muscle. From the tip of my toes to the top of my head, one big muscle. And of course, Andy says, well, maybe Opie with you will stop at the neck. Um, But, so, Barney goes about helping Opie train for the 50-yard dash. So he's got him running in his sweatpants, towel around his neck, kind of like Rocky. He's got him um, doing leg exercises. He's got him jumping, skipping rope. Then comes time for the big meet. Barney's at the start line with his, starting pistol Andy's at the finish line keeping track of the time and who's the winner barney fires a gun kids take off they get to the finish line and opie is beaten out of sight i mean you're looking behind him like he's pulling a wagon or a trailer. i mean he is so far behind the kids sitting on the side here have time to get up come run across the finish line to help the winner celebrate as opie's finally crossing the finish line i'm talking slow And he is beyond dejected. He can't hold his head low enough. He leaves the event and walks home, completely skips the rest of the day. In his mind, all that training, wanting that medal, working hard and running that race, in his mind was totally useless. Useless. A total waste of time. That's what our religion can be like if we don't control our tongue. A total waste of time. And useless is doubly convicting because it means you don't get any results. Jesus said, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, if Christ is not risen, your faith is useless or futile. Our faith gives us eternal life because Christ rose. If Christ doesn't rise, our faith is useless because it doesn't give us the result which is eternal life. James is saying completely undone and useless. And our religion can be done all wrong. Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. The visit orphans and widows in their trouble. How do you feel about the oppressed? How do you feel about them? What do you do for them? Again, it's not about a checklist. I will say a couple months ago, a few weeks ago, One of my dearest old friends here in this church went home to be with the Lord. Um, Tragic ending. And I have visited his sweet widow one time. One time. God forgive my useless religion. But it's not about leaving here and saying, I'm going to start visiting. It's about my heart. My heart is deceived. Things are taking a place and got my attention elsewhere. I need to ask God, change my heart. Don't give me the right checklist. Change my heart that I want to do those things. I'm doing the wrong things. Help me to do the right things. And then he says, how do you handle the world? Are you unspotted from the world? How big is a spot? So you got an image in your head. How big is a spot? Is a dot a spot? When does a dot become a spot? The spot, when does the spot become a stain? A dot of stain? Can you have a dot without staining? I mean, James just says, unspotted from the world. How do you handle the world? Or does the world handle you? Is the world in your heart with those spots and therefore you don't have time to do the word? How do you handle the world? You can't live in both worlds. If you are, you are deceived if you're trying to live in both worlds. You are not, as we have said, James is all about living the wholehearted life. You can hear in this passage, James is talking about living the wholehearted life. Hear and do. Hear and do. Your heart, once divided, comes together. Wholehearted. One heart following God. Hear and do. If we will do that, if we will hear and do, if we will live wholehearted, it will make all the difference in the world, in our lives, in our relationship with God right through Jesus Christ and it'll make all the difference in this church if we as a congregation begin to live a wholehearted life hearing and doing and it'll make all the difference in our community most importantly to those that are lost in our community if we can live a wholehearted life let's pray